0: Hey everybody, Jesse here from The Best Interest. If you're a regular podcast listener here, this one's going to be a little different. Every Sunday night, a group of seven of us financial educators are hopping onto Twitter Spaces, which is a new feature on Twitter that allows audio chat rooms. Each week, we're going to be tackling a different topic, drawing on our various experiences and knowledge sets. We're calling this show Up and to the Right, the direction of growth, be it personal or financial. We're recording these sessions, and I'll be posting them here on the Best Interest podcast feed. The topic for this first week is, if you have a mortgage, should you try to pay it down early, or should you take those extra funds and invest them? Thanks all for listening. We had a really fun chat with some really good knowledge, and I hope you come check us out next Sunday night on Twitter. And as always, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest.
1: I say, I don't know if and when Andy's going to be able to join. It sounded like he had a busy day of, of real work, so, <laughs> so I'm all for What do you guys think? Want to kick this thing off? Yeah, go
2: for no, it, yeah. cool. go for it, Jesse. Sure. All right,
1: cool. Well, hey everybody, uh, thanks for coming in to the inaugural episode of Up and to the Right. Our hope is that every Sunday night we're going to bring you some interesting ideas regarding personal finance, investing, and money. And real quick to start, I figure let's just go around the room and give, you know, 15, 20 second introductions of, of who we all are and what we like to talk about in this space just so people in the crowd can get to know us. Um, Dave, do you want to kick us off?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, my,
1: my handle here is Uncommon Yield. Um,
3: so my my whole thing is to, to look at money in a, in a little bit of a different way, take a contrarian view. Um, you know, if uh, if... You like somebody that wants to just tell you to invest in index funds and and use bonds and pay down debt, I'm not your guy. If you want to look at things a little bit differently, um, that's that's kind of what I'm here for. I'm looking for those asymmetric risks, risk bets like crypto, and uh, looking at different ways to, to arbitrage and accelerate wealth.
1: Cool. Thank you, Dave. Uh, Roger, how about you?
2: Sure. So you guys know me here as Roger at Upshot Wealth. Um, Basically, my whole focus has kind of been around, um, obviously, finance and how to maximize wealth. Um, One of the things I've really kind of focused on uh, on Twitter as of late is pretty much about uh, around 401k, so a lot of discussion around 401k and how to maximize your 401k. And um, yeah, just pretty much trying to give uh, information out there for as best I can to help people out with what I've learned over the years.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Roger. Shadow, you're up.
4: Yeah, so uh, Shadow Rents here on Twitter. Uh, focus on real estate as an asset and a vehicle to wealth. I'm the biggest believer that real estate is the best avenue for wealth creation for you, your kids, your grandkids, or whatever legacy you want to leave behind. But uh, to throw a curveball in there, I'm a believer in rural real estate, so I believe that real estate in small-town America is your best bet for success.
1: Very cool. Thanks, Shadow. I see Andy's now in the house. Roger, I don't know if you can set him up with speaking privileges, but Brandon, why don't you introduce yourself?
5: Sure. So I run a blog called Rinky Do Finance. My whole um, target audience is people in their 20s um, who think of money as a dirty subject, I want to kind of humanize it. So those are the sorts of articles I write, you know, just just targeting that audience, trying to get them into investing and, you know, using their money wisely.
6: Excellent.
1: Thanks, Brandon. Hey, Adam, you're next. All right. Yeah.
7: So I'm Adam, same name as the handle. Uh, Basically I started Twitter documenting our debt-free journey got that all paid off and now we're uh, starting the wealth building phase. So that's basically what I'm talking about now is, you know, some tips for paying off debt and uh, just some simple investing strategies.
1: Cool. Thanks, Adam. And I think Andy just got speaker privileges. Hey Andy,
8: want to introduce yourself? Hello. Yes. I have speaking privileges now. Uh, my name's Andy. I am a person who speaks about, investing and crypto and making money online. I talk a lot about YouTube on Twitter and on my YouTube channel. Hello, everybody.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Andy. And uh, I'm Jesse. I run The Best Interest, which is a blog, a podcast, and now a newsletter service for financial planners and advisors who don't like writing and want someone else to write newsletters to their clients. So, that's us. That's the seven of us here at Up and to the Right. And today on the inaugural episode, we're going to be talking about mortgages. and Specifically, whether it makes more sense to try to pay off your mortgage early or if you're better off taking those funds and investing them in some way. So I think for the first argument, I'm going to pass it over to Dave. So Dave, why don't you tell us your stance on this argument and tell us why you think that. So I think yeah thanks Jesse paying off a uh, low interest
3: debt right now especially a mortgage I think makes uh, very little sense. I think a 30 year mortgage is a great way uh to have a wealth building tool um, and I'll tell you why that it's it's really a lot less risky to invest compared to paying down something like a 30 year mortgage because you have access to that cash. Um, you know once if you pay down the mortgage at all all that money is goes down to the it goes to paying down the principal, it doesn't allow you to skip payments in the future. So those mortgage bills continue to come until you fully pay off that loan. Um, And then it just continues to allow you to diversify across different asset classes. If you pile all of your money into a home, um, that's a great, you know, it is an asset, but it's an unproductive asset. It's not going to help you retire. It's really hard to get that liquidity out potentially if you really need it. Um so investing in, in like broad-based index funds for example um gives you a, a really good chance of beating the amount of interest
1: that you're going to be paying on that loan. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. So Dave is of the opinion that makes a lot more sense to invest the money than pay down the low-interest debt. Um Roger, did you did you have a an argument you wanted to lay out for us?
2: not really an argument more more kind of agreeing i I think when you're looking at mortgages especially with the rates that are out there today i mean it it's it's a fixed rate like right now you're looking i think the average was like a little a little above three percent you can basically get money you can borrow money at three percent for 30 years right um that's pretty powerful right because it allows you to kind of open up other windows to other opportunities um, versus like, look at our, I don't know, look at the 1990s, you know, <laughs> if you bought a house in the 1990s, interest rates were like above 10%, right? So it's a different aspect, right? And sometimes you have to kind of shift focus on what we were, let's say, initially told at one point versus what's actually happening, happening now and what the market looks like today. So I think that's kind of the hard part sometimes, like you kind of have to adjust as time progresses on based on information you heard and you can kind of make the same arguments for even car loans, right? Like today's rates, you can get 0% financing or like even less than 1%. So it's kind of playing with those numbers and figuring out where is the additional opportunity that I can use that money.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Roger. A Quick anecdote. I think my dad's first mortgage that he got in the early eighties was at 14 or 15% interest. Ooh. So for him, And for his generation, for our parents' generation, it probably made a lot of sense for them just to try to pay down that mortgage as quickly as they could. And maybe some of those uh, suggestions that they grew up with are bleeding into our conversations when really the math says they shouldn't be. Um, Shadow or or Andy or Adam or Brandon, one of you guys have any thoughts?
4: I can go ahead and jump in. So here's my thought. I'm a big believer in putting as much money in the market as possible and when we're getting a fixed 30-year loan uh, i bought a house last year fixed 30 years at two and a half percent when the average market return is eight percent i can't be of the school of thought of let's pay the house off early and i hear a lot of these arguments on twitter is peace of mind uh, the <laughs> assets mine yeah um but i'm gonna ruffle some feathers here you're paying taxes on it every year, and if you don't pay taxes, it's not your house anymore. So it's really never your house. Even if it's paid for, it's still not your house. So why why put the money towards something that's not yours in the grand scheme of things when you can uh, increase your wealth building uh, very rapidly?
1: Yeah, makes a lot of sense to me. Sorry, I'm struggling technically with spaces over here.
8: And if I, if I can just add to that, I mean, I think the whole peace of mind thing is great and all, but there's nothing quite like the peace of mind of having just a fat investment brokerage account.
4: I love it. Yeah. So, you know, you could have your $150,000 house paid for where I live here in rural America, or you can take that money and have a million dollar brokerage account. I know you which I can tell you which one I'd feel better with. So it sort of
5: makes... Make things a bit more interesting. Let me pose a question. What would you guys say? So if, um, and I do agree that it's better generally to invest than, you know, rush to pay off a mortgage, but what would you guys say then if somebody went to the other extreme and didn't buy a house at all, but just rented and invested?
3: Well, I mean, I, th- I think there's a good, is David, I think there's a good case for that. Um, uh, you know, if if you're going to move quickly, you know, if you're not going to stay in one place too long, uh, and you you have the the cost of selling the house um, that can be significant uh, with realtor fees. Um, So I think you got to weigh that out. But if you're going to stay in one place for a really long time, um, you can really project out pretty close where you're going to have to pay, you know, property taxes, like to Shadow's Point, will go up over time. But, um you have a lot more control i think of how much you pay, and you'll probably pay lower than what you did i mean i, I bought my house ten years ago, um and I know rents in my area have gone up at least fifty percent um my house payment has not gone up fifty percent even with even the taxes have gone up gone up quite a bit, so it's a really good way to really keep your expenses down if you're gonna stay in one place for a long time
2: you know to to add to is like we we talk about investing as a bigger opportunity, but it's also important to kind of figure out what you're going to invest in, right? Your risk tolerance, right? Obviously, if you're using your house as an asset to pay down, there's there's that conservative guarantee that, you know, in, in, let's say it's 3%, right? It's like, I'm guaranteeing myself I'm going to make 3%, right? If I pay this house down. So it really also depends on what you're investing in um, will play a big factor in um, just overall uh, wealth growth. But I, I agree that you know, I think in general, you could do better in the market. And if we're just talking about looking at the market from like a broad market perspective, you know, S&P 500 total market, then you're you're coming out ahead.
4: What's been that average? Is it like 8% if I recall, right, over the last so many de- yeah. decades? Like 8% total 8 to return?
2: Yeah, 8 to 10, depending on how you kind of look at how you calculate it based on... um yeah,
4: yeah, Richard. yeah, so another upside that uh, Brandon was talking about with renting, uh, I know a lot of seniors in our area rent for the simple fact that they don't want to do home repairs. So there are some added benefits of renting, lower stress, no repairs. If you want to move, you can move. So I see that side of it. But if you plan on being somewhere long term, I don't see... A, a better place where you can park some cash instead of re I mean, basically you're reallocating your cash. And, and it's a terrible way to look at it, a terrible way to say it, but in, in some form and fashion, you're reallocating a cash asset to uh, a home asset, which is going to help you fight inflation. So, I mean, if you plan on being somewhere for a while, it, it's hard to beat that to uh, pile some cash in just to, to hedge yourself from inflation.
2: Yeah, and the and the thing too is like if you buy a house and you decide, you know what, I don't want to own a house anymore. Guess what? You can sell a house and rent. <laughs> I mean, look look at the market today. There's I saw someone post on Twitter where someone bought a house like two years ago and they sold it for double double the price, right? Just how crazy the market is.
4: I bought a house three years ago and sold it last week for a forty five percent profit. I mean,
2: it's insane.
1: Real quick, uh, to any of the listeners out there, feel free. You can either message us or DM us or tweet at us if you have any questions. Um, Hopefully towards the end, we also have some time to ask us direct questions as well. Uh, Right now, the the crowd, I should say the seven of us, seem pretty skewed towards investing that money. For what it's worth, I wrote out an argument uh, for paying down the debt, which I'd be happy to go through. But I also want to make sure, uh, Adam, do you have any thoughts? I mean, Adam, I know your story involves paying down a lot of debt. And so from that point of view, I mean, do you have any thoughts when it comes to this? If you were facing a mortgage right now, would you go after paying down that debt first or would you look to invest it?
7: Uh, I'd probably be on the investing side. Just Some of the stuff Dave talked about, just like the liquidity and access to the money, um, that would probably be a big thing for me. Like our consumer debt, student loan debt, I kind of view that as a little different in terms of you know, comparing it to a mortgage debt. So I would definitely be in favor of uh, investing and having a easier access to the money. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a good argument. And, uh, so
5: I'll throw like a contrarian, because I think we're all on the same page, but I'll throw like a contrarian um, opinion in there. Like I, So my parents, for example, they were never going to invest in the stock market because it's just... Seems too risky to them. It's just not their thing. So they did pay off their mortgage aggressively, and they're pretty happy about it. So I think also it's worth considering that not everybody is choosing between paying off the mortgage and investing in stocks. Some are choosing between paying off the mortgage and like keeping money in cash.
1: Yeah, that's a great argument. Some people, for for work, better or worse, have. Have um, hesitations when it comes to investing in stocks, or, or simply don't want to go with, don't want to put up with the downside. Um, if you guys want, I can go through. I mean, I think Dave focused on the reward portion of the question really well. And, and listeners out there, if you haven't seen Dave, so that's Uncommon Yield. If you haven't seen Uncommon Yield's tweets in the past hour, he's been putting up some really cool graphs. To show the difference in your money after 30 years if you choose to invest it. But I want to talk a little bit about the risk side, because I think sometimes this conversation confuses the meaning of the word risk. So risk is the the probability of permanent loss or long-lasting loss of value. So if you make extra payments into a mortgage, you're securing a better debt position and you're negating your future interest payments, which in that way, it's just like getting a coupon on a bond. In other words, the prevention of future bad interest payments is just like securing good interest coupons or good interest payments. So when I'm paying off my 4% mortgage, that's what mine is currently at, 4% interest rate, it's just like investing in a treasury bond with a 4% yield, where my house is the principal and the future interest payments, that's the coupon on, on the bond. And it's guaranteed. Uh, I have to pay off the principal anyway. And the return on my investment, that fake coupon, is guaranteed. So if the definition of risk is the probability of long-lasting loss, stocks, we know, have a bigger reward, but they also can have bigger losses. Um, The 1970s, for example, was a decade that had an average annual stock market return of minus 1.1%. So it is possible to have losses over long periods of time. And the nail in the coffin in my argument, I'm going to pull a quote from Bill Bernstein, who's a great investor, author, if you haven't heard of him, William Bernstein. The quote is, the purpose of investing is not to simply optimize returns and make yourself rich. The purpose is to not die poor. So I totally get the math involved here. I totally get Dave and and many of your guys' mathematical arguments. But part of the overall investing strategy can be don't die poor. And that's why sometimes making the extra
2: mortgage payments makes sense. That was awesome, Jesse. I mean, risk is a real thing, you know, and I think sometimes we take it for granted from the perspective of like, we look at a chart and it's was like, Oh, we'll just put 8% returns and watch it. But like, for example, look at last year with COVID, right? I mean, look at the swing, right? That we had just last year Um, that impacts people, right? That impacts Sometimes how people make decisions. So it's not always easy to just put it on on an Excel doc, right? And and make a decision.
5: Yeah, I heard a great quote. It was like, um, you know, people don't earn average returns. People earn real returns. So like 8% is a really good benchmark to kind of plan with. But at the end of the day, you may not, you know, average Joe may not earn 8%. Average Joe may earn... 5% 5% or 10%, depending on their circumstances, when they sell, um, all that sorts of stuff. So I, I do think there's some flexibility regarding the actual numbers that you use to compare. Yeah. I think those are really solid
3: arguments, Jesse. I mean, I think that's like, I, from my standpoint and the way that I think about it, I just want people to see the opportunity cost of investing versus paying down their mortgage. So I think a lot of people, you know, I think, Shadow and Annie talked about, talk about some about the peace of mind piece that there's really, I just don't think they know like what they're potentially giving up in gains you know, and to Brandon's point, like that's not guaranteed. Um, I think the flip side though of risk is like, what's riskier? The stock market is totally tanking, being worthless or a home. Uh, I posted some stuff this weekend and earlier, or, or last weekend. It probably had no interest to in anybody, but I was thinking about our conversation on Sunday and it's possible for your home to be worthless. You know, it's possible for, um, there to be, I, guess, I there's a story in New Hampshire where bad co- contractors use bad concrete and now people's homes are completely worthless and they can't get mortgages to redo the foundation because it's too expensive. The, the loan wouldn't secure getting a new foundation done. Um, so it's there is also risk in putting all your money in one asset. It 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 could go away. You know, I mean, it's it's is it likely? It's not likely. But what's more likely, the stock market going to zero, or your home going to zero, the house that you have? I I, I don't know. I mean, what what do you guys think?
2: I would I would say either. <laughs> Hi,
3: yeah.
2: isn't the stock market so high right now? Isn't the stock market so high
7: right now?
3: Yeah. So I yeah. think the so Jesse had a good a good post and I, I retweeted it and I said to bring it up today. But when you look at a twenty year holding period, there's almost a zero percent chance that you'll end up with less money than what you put in. Um, well, if you guys go to my page, go to Jesse's page, check it out. But if we're talking about a thirty year holding period and dollar cost of averaging it over that whole time, what's more likely to happen? You know, for the stock market to go up and for you to have a positive return, or for you to be
1: negative. Yeah, that's that's a great question. I don't know if anyone here has has the answer, Um, but right, and and that's the question, right, that we need to ask ourselves when making this decision, because it really does come down to risk versus reward over the long term. Um, So I think, now to my speakers, I guess a couple things. Um, Any of you guys have any, you know, feel free to do the give me send me an emoji if you have anything to say, Um, because we do have some questions from the crowd. We did have a speaker on here, MDZ, MDZS, who I think was in, but then maybe looks like he dropped or lost speaker privileges. So um, I do have a a different question in my DMs from uh, Sanjandro who asked, is it a smart move to obtain a home equity line of credit on a fully paid off mortgage that has a fixed rate of 3.25% and to use that line of credit as a hedge against credit card balances or personal loans that carry a higher interest rate. Any thoughts, guys?
4: It really depends on your risk tolerance. If you're willing to risk that, you know, the, the home for that, um, I, I would uh, be a firm believer in, in doing that. Anytime that you're fighting a 20% interest with a 3% interest, it makes sense, but you just got to make sure you're comfortable doing that with your personal residence.
5: And if you have credit card debt at the same time, like, I think you need to be careful about transferring the credit card debt to the home equity loan and then just racking up more credit card debt. So I think that's one of the weaknesses of situations like that. Um just wanted to throw that in there.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm going to agree more, with Brandon there. The last thing you want to happen is to get you know to like get thrown out of your house basically, right?
4: Yeah, you just got to make sure you got your, you know, your your ducks in a row and your head screwed on straight. I don't really recommend it, but but if it's a it's an option and and you know that you're going the right direction with it, it's definitely an option. Probably not the best one.
8: I really personally like that strategy as long as you are able to make a change in your life and actually uh, make positive decisions with the the cards and stuff going forward. But if that is even the slightest risk, then no, that would be a a, a terrible decision. I think.
1: Excellent points um oh obligate so this is from shadow but it's a great point shadow so obligatory request for you listeners if you're enjoying this if you're enjoying this we're hoping to come back every sunday and keep having conversations like this and uh if, if anyone on our panel has particularly impressed you give us a follow please and you know because this is the kind of we talk about on a regular basis um i did get a nice message from uh steven wealthy at my wealth money Points out, you know, different mortgages have different uh, rules and different countries have different rules for those mortgages. So, an argument for paying off the mortgage faster can be hedging against future risk of higher interest rates or of changing interest rates, depending on the type of mortgage you have. You know, adjustable rate mortgages got a really bad rap after the 2008 financial crisis and for good reason. But if people do still have adjustable rate mortgages, the sooner you can pay it off, the better.
8: Or given how favorable things are right now, if you still have one of those, man, refinance. Get these uh, 3% or less interest rates and uh, get rid of that variable. Yeah.
3: I, mean, I, I don't know if we're from the UK. But
8: I
2: want to say I have a you're, you're breaking up. You're breaking up, man.
3: Uh, Is that better?
1: Keep, keep trying, Dave. You got a little <laughs> robot on us, but try again.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Thanks. Sorry. Uh,
2: I remember I had some
5: conversations
2: with folks in the office. I don't want to say that they're still, it's still praying up on
5: us, Dave. Sorry. All right. Let, 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 let people come back in. Very daft,
1: punky. <laughs> um, so let's see. Any other questions from the crowd or, or thoughts around the room? Anybody have any other thoughts around the room on uh, arguments for or against paying off paying I'm, off the mortgage early?
2: I'm going to let uh, MDZS, um Requested to speak, so I'm gonna let him uh, do that. See if he has a question. Perfect.
0: Apologies, guys. The listener's question got cut off here. The question was: Is the stock market a good thing to invest in right now, or is it overpriced?
1: Yeah, it's a trillion-dollar question.
5: I see. My answer is: If you're investing for long enough, I don't think it matters. Like, if you're investing for 40 years, I think the stock market is going to be higher in 40 years than it is right now. Um, if you're investing for next week, then maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But my my solution to that problem is always just to invest for as long as possible.
2: Yeah. Jesse put out that tweet um, a couple days ago about showing like progression of time, right? Showing how I think over a 20 year period, I, I don't recall what it was, Jesse it was like 0.2 or three or something crazy where times that you've actually lost money from a 20 year period.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, so the tweet was, you know, I was looking at S and P five hundred holding periods versus your probability of making a profit over that holding period. And if your holding period is a year, it's like sixty percent of the time you'll make a profit. And then if it's ten years, you'll make a profit like ten percent of the time, or sorry, ninety percent of the time you'll make a profit. This is all historical data, but once you get out to the twenty or thirty year holding periods, you're virtually guaranteed to, to make a profit. Um, but, you know, a, a quick answer, at least my quick thoughts on, you know, is the stock market overpriced right now? So if you guys aren't familiar with the uh, CAPE ratio, C-A-P-E, uh, some people call it the Schiller P-E ratio. It stands for cyclically adjusted price to earnings ratio. And it, it kind of measures how expensive is a stock or the stock market compared to how much money are those companies earning on an annual basis? right now it's the highest it's ever been since right before the 2000.com bubble burst though so, some people would look at that and say yeah things are overheated the stock market is way too high other people would look at it and say well maybe this time is different and the most four expensive words in investing are this time is different so there are a few different ways to look at it personally I'm with Brandon where I, I do think the market is overpriced, but I'm investing for a 20 or 30 year timeline. and still doing a dollar cost average investing strategy every other week.
5: Yeah. And I mean, even if I knew, like, even if that was a hundred percent guarantee, you know, that metric of uh, the valuations to earnings being so high, even if, even if that was a hundred percent guarantee that think a crash was about to happen, my question would then be like, what am I gonna do with the money now? And when am I gonna put it in? Like, how am I gonna figure out when's the, when th- things hit the bottom? And those are two very important pieces of information that you need if you're going to try to find the market, which I don't recommend attempting at all. So you know, even if I was reasonably certain that the market was gonna crash next month, I would carry on as usual because I don't have those other two pieces of information. So I just won't even bother trying to um, to time the market.
2: All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna enable some um, Stan over here. He has a question, so I'm gonna let him add him as a speaker real quick. Sounds good, and, just, and I'll get and I'll get to you with Mark, after as well.
1: Cool. Sounds like we have people lined up. And, and Jerry, I saw your question in the DMs. We'll get to your question. Thanks, Jerry.
6: Stan,
2: you got the floor. What's your question?
6: Sorry that I. Uh, it looks like a lost connection for a second.
4: Um, real quick, I'm just wanting to know. Um, I'm on the same page with you guys as far. As,
6: um, and
4: also, what do you think about the down payment? It sounds like, um, based on your theory, you would you would suggest putting down as little of a down payment as possible. Would that be correct?
2: Could you could you repeat your question real quick
6: since I think we lost you like halfway? I'm sorry about that. I actually had two
3: questions. Number one, what do you all think of 15-year mortgages? They're bad right now. I, I wouldn't recommend it. So I have a tweet where
8: I showed an example
3: of 15 versus 30-year. I I don't think there's really a good case for them right now.
8: Yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah. a fan of, of 15 years for just the practical standpoint. You get a 30-year? Uh, You can pay it off twice as fast if you want. And then if times get tough or whatever, you have that flexibility of dropping back to the lower uh, amount. But uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of 15s.
2: So I, I actually have a 15 right now currently, but it was kind of in a little bit of a different time where things were slightly different than they are now. Right now you can get a 30 year at 3%, right? And that's pretty much was unheard of, you know, just a couple of years ago, right? So um, I don't see the advantage of doing the fifteen year anymore, just because of how low the rates are for the thirty.
3: Roger, I mean, I, I know maybe you talk a little bit about why you haven't refinanced. I mean, are you far enough into your mortgage where that doesn't make sense anymore? If
2: that's exactly right. I'm so I'm I'm far enough in now where it's I'm not. It's not worth it, basically.
3: Yeah. So, so for everybody that's listening, so as. When you pay a mortgage, whether it's for a 15 year or a 30 year, the interest is front loaded. So you can go to like Bankrate, they have a great mortgage amortization calculator. And you can see how much of each payment over the course of that mortgage is interest versus principal. And as you get down into the later years, you're paying very, very little interest. So if you are thinking about refinancing, really take a look at that and see if you're actually going to save anything, unless it's going to increase your cash you know it's going to reduce your payment a lot and you're going to use that to maybe invest you're, you're probably you you may not be saving anything by refinancing even if you get a lower interest rate
2: exactly because one thing you got to remember is refinancing costs money right it's not free so um you got to figure out the opportunity cost right with regards to doing it and why you're doing it and just make sure you have a plan with the money like don't do it don't do it just cuz you hear people on the news saying oh we're refinancing because there's lower rates like why are you doing it And does it make financial sense to do it?
1: All great points, Um, Roger. Do you want to do you want to set up our next potential speaker question while I read off a question that I got in DMs?
2: Well, I actually wanted to get to Stan's second question. That was the first question.
1: Oh, great point. Okay, yep, let's do it. Thanks. Connection.
4: So if I get dropped off, that's okay. But uh, um, also, I was curious about your thoughts on down payments. Y'all suggest the minimum 20. If you have more than the minimum 20, you suggest putting more down up front um, or the opposite. I'm actually a veteran. I can literally get by with paying zero if if I wanted to. So I wanted your thoughts on upfront down payments for a 30-year mortgage. Hey, Stan, I'll, I'll jump in and answer that one. One, thank you so much for your service to our country, my friend. Um, without you, you know, we wouldn't be here. So thank you for that and the sacrifice you made. Um, but I'm a big believer in as little as possible, as long as you can steer clear of the, the PMI. Uh, that, that mortgage intru- insurance is just uh, an extra expense that, that's not needed. So I'm a big fan in that 20% or as little as you can get without getting uh, the extra insurance added.
2: Yeah, looking at PMI is a big, uh, a big thing. Um, for those of you that know, don't know what PMI stands for, it's basically private mortgage insurance. So effectively, when you don't, when you have a conventional loan, and you don't put twenty percent down on your, on that home purchase price, um, the lender essentially likes to add on uh, what they call these private mortgage insurance (PMI), um, and basically they do this as like a protection for the lender. Um, and usually, once your house is at a loan-to-value ratio of uh, under. Basically, once you have eight, over eighty uh, percent equity, you can kind of re, you can. W- sorry, once the loan is under eighty percent, you can remove it. Um, so it's something definitely to consider um, when when you're figuring out the uh, when you're looking at purchasing the home. You can figure out uh, what the information is with regards to having PMI, what that cost is, and so forth. Um, the other thing to look into is there's another thing called SPMI, which is like a single payment of mortgage insurance, basically like a lump sum. So depending on how long you're gonna be in the house, um, that might be something to consider if you're willing to pay a lump sum to just get PMI removed altogether and not have to deal with it. Um, Sometimes the only way to get rid of PMI is to refinance. Um, Some lenders will remove it if you request um, after you have the correct loan to value ratio. So it just kind of depends.
8: Also on the topic of PMI, if uh, you do hit that, a threshold where you've officially uh, paid off twenty percent, and you only owe eighty percent, and you can qualify to remove it. Uh, make sure you actually uh, request removal because most lenders will just keep on charging you that money with a smile on their face until you write them a letter or send them an email or or call them up and uh, request that to be uh, removed. Cool.
1: Thanks, guys. I'm just um, catching up on some questions here in the DMs. Uh, got one from Jerry who asked. If you already have your mortgage paid off, would you guys recommend taking out a loan against your house to invest in the stock market? Any thoughts from the crew? Man, I think that's 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 pretty risky. Uh, you know, I, I guess I
3: guess it depends what you're going to do with the money, but invest in the stock market. I think is pretty risky you're going to take that money out and then maybe buy other real estate. So like right now, like full disclosure, like I took out a HELOC, a be- home equity line of credit at the beginning of the year or a HELOC. And I've been looking to buy um, a rental property with it, using that to to make a down payment, um, even though I do have the cash um, on hand. But um, I think buying real, depends what you're going to buy with it. But man, I, it would be really hard to to invest that in the market. Um, I think That's a little bit risky.
2: I mean, that's it's, it's such a personal thing, right? It just really comes down to risk tolerance. Like me personally, I wouldn't do it. I, I would never jeopardize where I live, basically. I think that's just too much risk for
6: me anyway.
1: Yeah, for what it's worth, I'm on the same boat as these guys. But then again, I was also on the boat of making extra payments on the house in the first place and not taking that money and, and throwing it in the stock market. Um, but yeah, once once I had my house paid off, just like these guys said, putting that, risking that asset to chase further gains. I go back to that quote I mentioned earlier, and you know maybe some of you missed it, which was the point of investing isn't necessarily to get filthy rich, it's to not die poor. Or in this case, it's to not end up without a roof over your head. That's just my two cents. Um, I've got another question here from from Binge Drinkington, top profile name, by the way, Binge <laughs> Drinkington. Um, but it's, it's a fairly specific question. I'm not, I don't have a great answer. I have like a four out of 10 answer. But the question is, uh, hey, Jesse, hey, guys, I'm a veteran. And I had a question in regards to the differences and pros and cons between veterans home loans, first time buyers, Fannie Mae, etc. So different loans. So again, thank you, Binge Drinking Team, for your service. And yeah, are you guys familiar at all with the differences between different kinds of uh, home loans that you can get?
5: I'm a Canadian, so none of those mean <laughs> anything to me.
1: Abuse if I've ever heard one. No, I mean, I, I wrote an article once about the big short, and I had to learn a little bit about the different loan types. And all I remember is that, you know, some of the loans have little fringe benefits here and there. A lot of the difference between them is how much of a down payment is required. Um, I think some of those loan types can allow you to only have like a three or 5% down payment without PMI. So without that, that negative PMI that Roger was talking about. Um, again, don't take that as gospel because I, you know, It was an article I wrote two years ago and it's not like I was really looking to learn too much about different mortgages in the first place, but, um, those would be the kind of things I would look at different interest rates, different down payment requirements and different little fringe benefits that you can get. Anyone else have thoughts?
6: Well, we, we that's mostly
1: right.
7: Yeah. So we had looked into a first time home buyer a while ago and, um, I just know they have different requirements on like your income amounts, um, house prices. And I think they had some higher fees and some things they tacked onto that. But that was, I had only really looked into the first time home buyer stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. Thanks,
6: Adam. Dave, did, did you, were you going to say something, Dave? Yeah. I mean, I really don't have a whole lot to add. I mean, yeah, from a business from a
3: standpoint, a little bit, I have a little bit add. Usually you can get a lower interest rate, that makes a lot of sense if you can get it. You know, if, you're, if you're choosing to be in lower interest rate, I think you can put down very little or nothing down. I think Shadow knew that answer. If you put nothing down, you might as
1: well might not risk it. Right. Dave, you, you want a little robot on us there, but my robot translation here. <laughs> financing costs. So if you
3: find the, the right person in your market that can really help you out and do a good job, uh, look at all look at all the fees that are that are quoted to you uh, for the loan to to get it refinanced or to to get that original loan and see if you can negotiate those down or or shop yourself around a little bit. You could really save yourselves a lot of money.
2: I think uh, we have a question from Mark.
9: Thanks, Roger, and I appreciate all you guys doing this. I feel like you're all subject matter experts with your own little niches as well. So. Um, it's a good crew that you got going. Highly encourage you guys to do this every Sunday or however frequently you're able to. Um, but yeah, I was gonna touch on PMI, but you guys kind of got to that. I'll go back to what we were just talking about, the inspections. You also want to put yourself in the sellers' shoes, because imagine if you're in a market where it's a seller's market, you're getting plenty of offers coming in, and let's say you have, you know, five to seven offers and the highest one they want an inspection, but then there's one for, you know, three or four or five grand less that doesn't want one. Like you kind of put a price on that. And as a buyer, obviously it, it makes sense to have one, but if you really, really, really want the house, you might have to actually just suck it up and not get one. Cause in this market, at least it's, I mean, the sellers, I think put a pretty high value on, you know, okay, now we don't have to worry about that inspection because it is a little bit of a stressful time as a seller. It's a hump you got to get over. Um, and I, I know there are other contingencies you can put in place like, hey, we'll waive the inspection on anything less than $10,000. We'll just ignore it. So the buyer can put that into their offer and say, you know, we want an inspection, but it's really just for big ticket items. If it's any repair less than $10,000, we are just going to ignore it. You don't have to worry about it. We won't make you do anything about that. So that's kind of just my two cents on that is. If you really want the property, you might have to do what it takes and suck it up without an inspection. But
4: without an Just inspection does stuff. lead to, lead to a possible fifty to hundred thousand dollar mistake. So while I understand what you're saying and agree with you, I mean I, I do with you in the market today. Uh, still scary to do. Um, I never thought about that. You know that ten thousand dollar contingency, which I think is uh, fantastic and makes it a little more palatable for the seller. So I appreciate that. Uh, That's something I never thought of. Yeah,
9: you can kind of build it in however you want, and I'm I'm definitely on your side. Like, I wouldn't feel comfortable waiving it just because you never know it could end up being something that ruins your financial stability for many years to come. So, uh, it's a tough call, but um, yeah, the ten thousand dollar thing because you can handle something under ten grand, but like you said, fifty to one hundred grand, that's that ruins your financial plan for quite a bit of time. Um, so yeah, that that's my thoughts on that piece, and again appreciate you guys hosting this it's excellent crew excellent topics i think a lot of people can learn from you guys
2: thanks mark and i, I love that too because it's kind of like the give or take right you're kind of giving this other something
4: so i think that's a can We just cut it right here and quit because that was so nice of him i feel like you know we should just quit now while we're ahead <laughs> well, we,
2: well we got another we got another question
4: so I'm, I'm gonna i wasn't give this- really meaning that but okay <laughs> <laughs>
1: In the in the recording, I'm just gonna take that compliment from Mark, and I'm gonna stick it in like every minute. I'm just gonna pretend like someone <laughs> chimed in and just gave us the biggest compliment. In the world. You know, podcast version of this is gonna sound great. Um, Roger, did you want to set up another question? Because I've also got some questions here coming in the Yeah, uh,
2: MDZS is back with it. Looks like another question. So I'm gonna see if he. Or actually, I think he just dropped off. So let's, let's go with what you got. Okay, cool. Um,
1: so this is back from Ben's Drinkington, coming back for another drink. Uh, a follow-up question. He's heard horror stories about people purchasing brand-new homes in brand-new communities, and the house was essentially built too quickly or with cheap materials, things got overlooked. So his question is, would it be a better decision to target a house that might be 10, 15, 20 years old, Rather than look at a new build somewhere out in the suburbs. Uh, so,
6: so this so am I so,
3: so a robot?
6: Yeah, yeah, you are, Dave.
1: It was a little robot. roboty company, okay. to be honest. Hey, Dave, what
2: what about uh, dropping and joining back? See if that makes it better.
1: Okay, I will. I mean um a- adam and brandon i mean you guys might be potentially looking at home buying in the near future would you be worried about a brand new home about shoddy construction at so, all would you look for something that might be lived in? i think it
5: would depend on what kind of warranties and the buyer and the, the um uh, the builder's reputation as well um like i know there are some builders around toronto area that i've looked at and their reviews are just terrible so i would be very nervous about buying a new house from them but um you know, if the reviews are good and there are warranties in place, I wouldn't be too hesitant about it. But I, at the same time, I wouldn't necessarily choose new over, over a used house um, for any particular reason.
2: One thing, too, a lot of builders give you a one-year bumper-to-bumper, right? So that's something to consider as well. Um, actually, my folks just recently bought, a couple years ago, a brand-new house. Um, and what they did was look at reviews of the builder, see what people are saying. People actually talked to people in the community that already bought a house from that builder, um, see what their experience was with the whole process of getting the house built, how they've liked living there in that short period of time they've been there already. And then, you know, and then the fact that you have that one year bumper to pumper, maybe that, you know, makes it a little easier for you to make your decision.
8: This is another area where that whole inspection piece, it's like if you can have that happen, you can find an inspector worth their weight. Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter who the builder is. They're going to search through there and tell you every little thing that's wrong with it and whether it was built correctly or not. Um, so I would have no qualms buying new or use if I actually had a professional tell me that it was a suitable place for me to live.
5: Dave chimed in, um, in the DMs. He, he said, uh, he owns a house from 1923. He loves it, but it has a ton of issues.
7: Yeah, I mean, out out here, there's a, there's a lot of reputable builders that are building a ton out in northern Nevada, but that's kind of what you guys have talked on. There's a lot of uh, new home warranties. If I'm remembering right, I, I thought the year was 10, so that may, that may differ across the country and per builder, but some of the ones I was looking at were around the 10-year mark that if something major happens, they'll take care of it. But Yeah, I mean, I would just definitely do the research on who the builder is and if, you know, they have a reputable, um, if the reputation's fine. But, you know, if you're going to buy a new house with kind of a a builder you don't know much about and no warranty, I'd definitely be a little more uh, nervous or hesitant about that. Yeah, great
1: point, Adam. And and Brandon, too, you both mentioned reputation of the builders themselves. Um. I've got one more question from from the DMs, and I think that might be good. Or you know, I think maybe do you guys want to wrap this thing up around ten o'clock? Cut it off at an yeah. Hour. That sounds
2: good. I got also another uh, MDZS is back. If you want to do that first or second, uh, up to you, Jesse. Um.
1: Either either way, either way, let's let's do this one on the DMs real quick, and then when we're done with that, we'll get MDZS on the speaker. Okay. Um. So the one. In the DMs, uh, so this is from Alejandro again, who points out that BlackRock, you know, investment banking firm, Wall Street, BlackRock is buying every single family house they can find, paying 20 to 50 percent above asking price, outbidding normal home buyers. And this is from a Wall Street Journal article where they ask, why are these corporations and pension funds and big banks buying these properties? Um, I've listened to a couple podcasts on this, so I do have one answer, but any of you guys in the crew have any thoughts on why the big banks are buying single-family houses? How about you ask the real estate
4: investor this question? It's because it is one of the best investments you can make for the money. Hands down, bar none, you can spend you know, 20% down on a house in small-town America for five dollars to $10,000 and then cash flow $250 a month, every month. It is the best vehicle for a long-term wealth building possible, bar none. Thank you. I'm off my soapbox. So,
1: <laughs> so shadow, what are these big banks doing with the houses?
4: You know what? what? I don't. I don't know that. I'm not a big bank, but I imagine they're probably either sitting on them and running them out, or you know, they're they're waiting until uh, they can flip it for a little bit more profit. And there's all kinds of different ways uh, to to make money with housing um why banks are doing it or what specifically they're doing with it i don't know maybe i can do a little investigating in the, on the weekends and try to find out and infiltrate but uh, I, I truly don't know but, but uh definitely using that as, as an asset and a, a vehicle to grow their wealth uh for sure And as i'm doing just on a much smaller scale but uh it's a smart investment i just think it's a little little shady that uh, corporations are doing such a thing but um I guess it's not my place to judge that.
1: Well, you were you the right guy to to take that question on. I'm sorry for not immediately going to you. <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm just being up, goofy. I set you up with a little, uh, set you up with the Socratic method there. I know Coach Paul Richmond as a teacher would appreciate the <laughs> question asking. But my understanding, and again, this is just from a couple podcasts, I'm far from an expert, is that a lot of these places are starting to set up the equivalent of a commercial REIT, a real estate investment trust, what They might own properties like Dollar Generals and RV stores, commercial properties. But now some of these places are starting to set up the equivalent of that, but in residential real estate um, and as single family homes where the bank will just own the properties and they'll hire out a management company or they will set up an internal team to do the property management and they'll collect the profits. They'll collect the rents as, as cash flow, just like a normal REIT would. So that's why BlackRock's doing it,
8: Alejandro. Also, um, I think uh, there's probably, I'm just going to go off and make an assumption here, but I think there is some level of uh, these um, these uh, big investors, these big companies, banks, etc., just seeing an opportunity. Uh, uh, millennials, last I looked, millennials have like the lowest home ownership rates of any gener- generation at, at their current uh uh, kind of moment in life uh, so it's like you have this huge young generation of people who are just renting and it seems like uh, it's ripe for you being the person who owns the house who uh, rents it to the people yeah great point great
1: point Andy money to be made and if anyone's going to know it it's probably the big banks on Wall Street um, Roger did you say did we have one more question from the we crowd we do
2: got one more let me uh at MTZS as a speaker. I'll
1: go from there. Cool. I'm just going through here and looking at all the listeners in here. Thank you guys for, for coming in. Some of you I'm unfamiliar with, but it's nice to see some new faces, and and thank you all for, for chiming in. Um, MCDS, you, uh, you got the mic, man. Go ahead.
2: Thank you very much for this discussion. I'm learning a lot from you guys. Uh, my question is... Uh, what is uh, what are the pros and cons uh, for investing in stocks versus crypto? What do you guys think? Are you more into stocks or more into crypto? Thank you very much.
1: Thank you for the question, um, Andy. I know you know a lot about crypto, and Dave, you're a big crypto guy as well. Do you guys want to take a stab at this question?
8: I mean, my opinion of it is, you if you care ha- if you care about uh, investing your money, if you have an investing mindset whatsoever, and you don't have uh, crypto as part of your portfolio, even if it's 1% to 5%. And when I say crypto, I mean mainly Bitcoin. Uh, if you don't have it as a portion of your portfolio, I think you're probably doing it wrong. Um, I think it's going to be such a um, instrumental and fundamental change in how the world works in the next uh, 20, uh, 10 to 20 years that uh, it would be be crazy to not to not jump in.
3: Yeah, I 100% agree with Andy. I think having, you know, a 1% to 5% allocation for anybody makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. There's a lot of ways to get exposure.
5: Just, just find it and jump in just, just a little bit. And Steven um, at My Wealthy Money, he has a great article that shows, you know, what can happen if you just have 1% to 2% of your portfolio in crypto. You don't have to necessarily be either or. You can have a little bit of crypto or however much you want. And it can still do some pretty tremendous things your portfolio
8: yeah it, it definitely comes down to wh- what being self-aware and recognizing your own risk tolerance as well as your own conviction definitely don't do things just because someone on the internet tells you to uh, but if you uh, fundamentally believe in what its uh, future is then uh, then yeah definitely be a part of it where and you know it this is a this is a, a, a sliding scale for me for example my percentage of portfolio that is dedicated to Bitcoin is uh, crazy compared to what a lot of people, I'm sure, uh, are exposed to it. Um, But, uh, you know, it all comes down to what you're willing to risk and where you see the future and uh, what your kind of belief system is around your investments.
1: Those are some awesome answers. Thank you, guys. With that, I think we're going to wrap this thing up. Any final thoughts from, uh, from our speakers?
4: Be sure to give us all a follow, guys, if you enjoyed it. I mean, Please do, right. Please
1: give us all a follow. Please come back next week if you enjoyed this. Let us know. Let your friends know. Uh, if you have ideas for topics, feel free to recommend them. I mean, we've got a lot of topics, and uh, our general plan is to look at some tweets that might go viral during the week and set up that next Sunday's conversation based on that viral tweet because a lot of people might have seen it. Um, But yeah, thank you guys so much and we hope to see you next
2: Sunday. Thank you all. This has been awesome. Thanks for joining.
7: Cheers, everybody. See you you guys later. It's fun, guys. Bye.